0: Today's podcast is sponsored by The Optimist. When you go to The Optimist, the store feels like you're hanging out in someone's living room with your friends, just hanging. Everything there is shoppable. You can even buy the furniture. The new Beverly Hills pop-up store is open in December and January at 352 North Beverly Drive. Both shops are open from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. daily. You can always go to the website at theoptimistla.com or find them on Instagram at theoptimist_la. underscore L.A. Hey, welcome back to The Deal with Danny Brown. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Today, I have a special guest, Jason Nazar, a good buddy of mine. He is really an ambassador for the tech world in Los Angeles. He's been in the game a long time. He's currently the CEO of Comparably. Uh, he had sold his company, DocStock to Intuit a few years ago, had a good exit, invested in a lot of different com- companies. Uh, he's also has got an interview show a series called if I knew then on entrepreneur.com where he interviews some other big CEOs throughout the industry and really some interesting, interesting information. So for any entrepreneur, anyone that's in the startup business, there's a lot, a lot to learn here, a lot to learn here from Jason schools in session. Uh, you can always find Jason at Jason Nazar uh, on LinkedIn and also at comparably.com. So I hope you enjoy this as much as we enjoyed it. And, uh, Check it out. Let us know what you think. Talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Deal. I'm Danny Brown. I have a very special guest, my buddy Jason Nazar. What's up, Jason? How are you? I'm
1: great. Hey, Danny.
0: I'm glad we finally got you on. I know we've been trying to connect on uh, on Zoom for the last few months. It's been a crazy time for all of us. Uh, but for those that don't know you, you are uh, a fine gentleman, a mensch. Uh, you've been in the tech scene a long time. I kind of look at you as sort of the ambassador of the L.A. scene for the tech scene. Uh, you've exited some companies. Uh, currently, your, your company is Comparably. Uh, why don't we start with that? Let's start with where you are right now. You're at Comparably. You're the CEO. Tell us a little bit about what that company is and what you do there, and then we could get into your whole career story, how, how you got into tech and all that.
1: Of course, yeah. So Comparably is an employee review platform where employees can publicly rate and review their employers. And then we provide software to help companies with their employer branding, with their recruitment marketing, and with their reputation management. So think of us as a platform to help companies make sure that they can, you know, attract and retain the best quality candidates. And then we're a public website where people can see exactly what it's like to work at an organization, how much money they should be getting paid. And then we also now have data on how consumers Publicly rate the brands that they love the most as well too. So that, that's who we are, and uh, we raised you know a fair bit of money and been around for a couple years now. And um, we're we were based in Santa Monica before COVID. Now we're just where everybody lives, and you know, hopefully we we'll be back in an office soon enough.
0: Yeah. So does that mean if I want to find out what the VP of engineering is, if that's even a job, you would have a pretty good uh, approximate. Value of this is for for that type of job. This is what you should be getting paid.
1: Yeah, exactly. So people go to comparably.com to get really great information on how much people are getting paid, you know, what their salaries is, what their bonuses are, what uh, folks get paid in stock options. Obviously it's all anonymous data. It's average data across, you know, job titles all across um, North America. And then you can look up any company and you can see how their employees are rating them, what they think about working there, um, what kind of experience women are having in a company, what kind of experience people of color are having in a company. Yeah, So really relevant info. Well, before we get into your
0: career story, I want to also give you a plug on on your interview series with Entrepreneurship.com. I know you've been interviewing a lot of CEOs, and can you give us a little bit of a background on what how that's going and who's been on it and who's coming on
1: Yeah. So there's a new show that uh, we're doing in conjunction with Entrepreneur Media, so entrepreneur.com. And uh, we do a a profile series of CEOs, typically of large Fortune 500 companies or unicorn tech companies. So we've had on folks like the CEO of DocuSign and Indeed and Nextdoor, Warby Parker. And it's just an opportunity like you're doing for folks to share their leadership lessons. So unfortunately, you got stuck with me today.
0: I'm, I'm thrilled to get stuck with you. You know, DocuSign has changed my life. As you know, I, I'm on it 24-7. It's, that's like one of my most important tools. It's on my phone. So let's get into the Jason career story. I know you're an L.A. native. You grew up in L.A. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, like where you went to school through growing up, where you went to college, and then
1: what got you into the tech space? Yeah, so try to represent today, as I know. I love it.
0: Go Dodgers. Dodger blue.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I I grew up in LA my whole life. My parents have the same, uh, house that I grew up in. And so I stayed at school close by, went to high school here, you know, in Los Angeles, and then, um, went to undergrad at UC Santa Barbara and went to business school and law school at Pepperdine. So I never really ventured far away at all. Um, LA is definitely my home. Uh, you know, my wife uh, is from LA also. And so, You know, our friends and family are here and, you know, this is very much, you know, where we intend to be and a a very special place to us, as I know it is to so many folks. And, you know, I purposely chose to sit outside today because you helped (laughs) find, you know, the the place that we live in today, which we absolutely love here in Westwood. And looks beautiful. I love it. Like the greenery.
0: (laughs) So tell me how what made you get into the tech
1: space? Was that the first career? Did you go right into it out of school? Uh, not right out of school. So I basically always just started companies. When I finished undergrad, I started a business of all things, doing public speaking for two years and uh, went to a lot of high schools and colleges and then um, did some trainings on sales and negotiations. And then as I went back to grad school, I had started another small business doing consulting for uh, you know, writing business plans for companies and helping early stage ventures raise money. And then in my last year of law school in 2006, I had the idea that there should be something like YouTube for documents. And I basically started DocSoc. And so really not knowing what I was getting into and not being a software engineer myself, uh, started working on this with outsourced uh, engineers in India, spent my whole last year of law school building this product And then, you know, raised a seed round of capital soon after raised around a venture capital. And that put me on a track from, you know, 2006 until today, of really being a full time internet entrepreneur and then, you know, investor in internet companies and board members of a lot of um, organizations. And so that was the path that got me to where I am today. So you
0: were in your last year of law school. So what was that like? How were you juggling and pivoting the load of law school, and startup, a startup when you're not an engineer. I mean, what, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, I was definitely uh, the oddball in law school because I was always working on this business venture and you know just cramming for uh, finals to the last second, but it, it helped me develop a, a really important philosophy, which is like maybe the first leadership lesson, which is that You know, if you're focused with your time, you can really get so much done. And I just wrote this quote on Twitter, which is working smarter is not working less. It's working hard at the right things.
0: Right. I saw that. I saw that earlier.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think the fact of the matter is we all in our, certainly in our scholastic life, but even much more importantly in our profession, we end up just spending a lot of time doing things that may feel like it's necessary important. But it doesn't in any meaningful way move our career forward. Right. If you think about like what you do, right, there's two or three things that are really critical to build a great business. I mean, one, you've got to find and attract great properties, right? And folks, either buyers and/or sellers. Two, you need to provide world-class service to them, you know, and three, you need to make sure that all transactions go through smoothly for you know all parties involved. And, And really, the key grow your business is well how many clients can you service and service them really well and so the question right. is well how much time does somebody in your profession spend a day on those activities versus just getting back to email or doing inspections or the hundred other things that you got to do to you know make your way as a real estate professional and so i think if if you look at people that have outsized success in whatever their careers What they've basically done is they've growth hacked where they spend their time, and they're able to spend the majority of their time on those small set of things, which leads to the largest potential increases in outcomes. And most people have the formula inverted. They spend a lot of time on things that really, at the end of the day, don't meaningfully make a difference at all. But you feel like, oh, well, I had a lot to do. I got a lot done. I did my list of stuff to do.
0: I love that 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 simple little thing. A growth hack is such a great term, but what you're hitting on is so important, I, I, especially people that are in the business development world. But in any business, I mean, focus on the few things that move the needle and push it forward, rather than being bogged down with the units of work and time that you get sucked into that really aren't they're not moving the needle they're just you feel like you're busy and you've had a long day but nothing's nothing's happened and if you compound that week after week month after month year after year I mean that's a dramatic difference in in what you can achieve or not achieve i love that i love that so you started docstock from not i won't say from your dorm room you were at least in law school so maybe from your apartment <laughs> uh docstock grew you raised money uh that was your first. I think it sounds like your first raise and your first exit. Tell us a little bit about that process. How long was it from your first cap, like seed capital angel round to exiting? to you did you get acquired by Intuit? Yeah, some big
1: company acquired you. Yeah, Intuit bought the business. I mean, it was eight years start to finish. So I started eight working out in in two thousand and six, and you know we sold the company in December of twenty thirteen, and literally like a, I think. A, Oh, the deal closed the week before I got married. And, uh, so, I mean, the other thing is, you know, the second kind of lesson there is, you know, be prepared for the long haul, you know, there are like, most folks are not overnight successes. And even if it seems like they are, there was a lot right. of stuff that went into it the 10 or 15 or 20 years before to make that happen. And so, you know, I, I think when I was starting, I'm like, Oh, this is going to be a project I work on for a year. And, you know, maybe someone's going to want to come like buy the initial software I'm building. And it was, you know, a full decade of my life. Right. Uh, but, you know, uh, that decade, you know, was a, a really important time for me and uh, kind of put me on a, a different trajectory for the rest of my professional career.
0: Sure. You weren't at a law firm downtown grinding it out for those 10 years to make partners. You were, you were an entrepreneur, a, you know, a tech guy. So tell, tell me a little bit about... The scene and the uh, what it, the culture of the tech culture in terms of raising money, being in bed with VCs, you are a young entrepreneur. What can you talk to to those that may be entering that phase of their business? What is it like? What are some lessons you maybe learned that you wish you would have known prior? I know that's, that's sort of a, a lot to unpack, but I'm just curious because that going from a young entrepreneur startup to all of a sudden big-time VC, big-time investors – and a big-time company that's starting to look under the hood to acquire you. I mean, that that is an incredible uh, pressure-filled experience.
1: Yeah, I, I'd say the big thing is there are so many quality deals that get, you know, um, venture capital these days. So you just got to be prepared to know what you're getting yourself into. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, folks at venture capital firms are looking to invest in, in big, massive, world-changing outcomes. So they want to invest in companies that, you know, can affect – millions and millions of people and be worth billions of dollars. And that doesn't mean your business today is going to be there, but it needs to have the ingredients that can and should grow to that. And, and especially like in an early stage deal, you know, I say that they're like the five P's of fundraising, which is uh, people, product, progress, persistence, um, and passion. And the, the first and foremost thing that people invest in is, is the team, you know, especially in an early stage deal, certainly in a seed stage deal, But even in a series A deal where people might be raising five to $15 million these days, I would say probably the single most important criteria is still the team, you know, and who they are and somebody's background. And so making sure that you're building as amazing a team as possible and folks that have hopefully, you know, had some success, been at large scale companies, been at other successful startups, that's the real key X factor. Then, you know, very few people invest in an idea unless it's with a really seasoned team they've worked with multiple times in the past. And so having a product that you've actually been able to build, you know, and then that third P is, pro- is progress. You have to be able to show momentum. You have to show users or revenue or growth. Yes. So n- no one's investing in uh, static, um, either concept or, um, you know, even product you build. So everyone wants to be jumping onto a moving train and a train that's picking up speed. Yeah. And so even to raise those initial rounds of capital, you know, you've got to have some meaningful progress and progress that's meaningful relative to the other kinds of investments they could make. So I meet entrepreneurs all the time that think that the progress that they're making is meaningful, but it's like, look, you don't get it. Like venture capitalists have the opportunity to put money into a deal that already has a million users or already is making a million dollars, and so the metrics that you're, you know, talking about need to be more. And uh, then I'd say the last two things again are, are are passion and persistence. Passion because you know any investor is going to want to see that you're excited and motivated and driven around that idea. And then persistence. Most folks don't just have a couple conversations and raise capital. You know, I think I had a spreadsheet when I was raising my Series A and it had 68 uh, rows in it and all but, you know, three of them were in red and two were yellow, which means they were maybes and then one eventually got to green. And so I had to do 68 pitches to get one venture capital round done. And especially for folks that are on their first time venture and maybe don't have a team that's done this before that's not uncommon for what folks still need to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that's a really good nugget there in terms of the idea versus execution. And if you don't have the the track record and you have this great idea and you're a young entrepreneur, it sounds like you really need to surround yourself or bring in partners that do have that experience uh, that rather than, you know, going at it alone seems that that that's a pretty tough road to take.
1: Yeah, I agree. So to,
0: I would also imagine if you're that entrepreneur, you have to be prepared to start dicing up equity to bring in important people in your company that have that experience. So that's probably part of, part of what needs to be done at that stage.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the single most important thing is the, the team that you, you know, have when you're starting and how well you all work together, how much relevant experience you have, how much credibility that that adds for investors. And I think again, That's an area that people often under-resourced. People spend a lot of time thinking through, well, what's my product going to do? What's it going to look like? What are going to be its killer features? Nobody gets their product right to begin with. But not a lot of folks that I know spend 30, 40, 50 hours a week just on recruiting co-founders. And... You know, I'd make the case that spending less time on super complicated products and way more time on trying to build the most amazing team possible. And almost every single case will help you raise more money and have a more successful business.
0: That's great. The team, the team matters. Surround yourself with the right pieces. And that also brings me to the thought of 100% of nothing is nothing. And you know, ten percent of a billion is still a lot of money. So, something to keep in mind. So, why don't you talk me through a little bit? Of, I know you've become a an angel investor. or You've invested in companies. What are some of the companies that you've uh, invested in, or the different in the type of space you've invested in tech?
1: You know, most of what I invest in are um, businesses that I have a personal connection to. So, you know, angel investing for me is not a a massive financial strategy. It's more of uh, a combination of supporting people in my life. And Many times they they work for me. Uh, in some cases, you know, I've gotten to know them over the years. So, for example, um, I'm an early stage investor in ZipRecruiter, one of the largest uh, job platforms yeah. in the world now. And the re- the way I got to know them is that um, I had known. Um, so there were four original founders: the CEO and founder Ian. Um, I had known through the LA tech community and they were actually looking for just some space in I think 2009 or 2010 or 11. And uh, we had just moved into this new like big 11,000 square foot office in Santa Monica. I had the whole big room. I'm like, Hey, just go work out of there and use it for as long as you want. And I think they were there for six months. And so they basically started that company in my office and wow. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't invest early on It invested much later, <laughs> but uh, still very lucky for the opportunity to put any capital in. Um, so that would be an example of, you know, uh, of how a deal comes together for me.
0: Yeah. Are any of these investments companies that you take an active role in or even a passive role with consulting or how does it usually work other than invest in capital?
1: Yeah. In almost every single case, a company that um, I angel invest in, I'll take a very active role. My, my value add is not the amount of money that I'm going to put into a deal. It's the, you know, the connections uh, or expertise or the pattern matching, you know, the things that they're going to go through that I've lived now for, you know, 20 plus years as an entrepreneur. And so uh, in almost all cases, uh, you know, if I get involved in a company I would try to spend as much time with them as possible to make sure whatever their key goals are, I can help them get there.
0: Yeah, so it's a strategic investment for sure. And is the is the numbers overall in your industry? I mean, I gotta imagine it's a lot like any sort of high reward, high risk industry. It's got to be a lot. You need to make a lot of investments to have a hit. Uh, just overall industry averages. You know, for every hundred companies someone invests in. is it a couple percent or what what would be an average? It can't be easy to find a winner.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, angel investing in tech companies is uh, really probably something I wouldn't just advise anybody to cash. (laughs) You know, your money's completely illiquid. It takes many, many years for an outcome and then it's extremely risky. And many of these investments go to zero. And so, um, I don't, again, primarily think of it as like, uh, For me, like a primary, like a finance building, you know, uh, tool. I've been lucky to have done well in that area. I think because I just make bets on good people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, probably the simple rule of thumb that I'd say is that you know, one out of four or five companies you're investing is going to get any kind of return, and so you're hoping that one out of ten companies you invest in has some really big return that it can make up for the rest of those. If you look at like, hey, I'm gonna put in X amount of dollars across these ten companies. What that also means is very few people are successful in angel investing that don't have a large enough portfolio. It's just hard to do it successfully um when you, you know, are making just a few bets. You want to make a lot of bets.
0: So you need to spread spread it out.
1: Yeah. The folks that are really, really successful in angel investing are the ones that either personally have deep enough pockets or, um, have some kind of fund that they can then do follow on. You know, when you catch a tiger by the tail and you have a company that's going to do unbelievably well, you want to be able to keep as much of your pro rata as possible. That just means as the company raises successive rounds, you want to be able to keep as much of that original ownership of, of what your investment was and, uh, so being able to do follow on rounds is also another huge deal that helps people be really successful as an angel investor.
0: Yeah. But my so general advice
1: would be, you know, if someone's casually coming to you with the next great tech investment or, <laughs> um, you know, like just generally beware. I wouldn't say don't do it. Like people have the choice to do whatever they want with their hard earned money. I would just be where it'd be like someone coming to me and saying, Hey, you know, put a bunch of money into precious metals. Well, I don't know that world at all. So it just feels like a pretty easy way to a lot of a lot of money very quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I say the same thing when people say, I just want to flip houses. And, you know, I, I've seen so many people lose their ass. Uh, and Yes, you could make money. And if you're good at it, you will. But God, I've seen so many people come into the space and lose a lot of money. I think it's probably even harder in something like tech startups because it could go to zero real quick. At least real estate doesn't go to zero. <laughs> so well, let me talk a little bit about um, how the economy and how the election will impact the the big picture. Uh, you know, I in my space, obviously in real estate, real estate's really fragmented. Whether it's commercial or residential, commercial's taken a lot of hits, especially in the retail space and office space, where residential has actually gotten a boost because people are happy uh, or, or they're either happy with their space or unhappy and want to make a trade. And so let me throw that up to the in terms of a tech entrepreneur and tech space. What is the time like right now? Is it tough doing deals? Is there a lot of deal? Like, what is, what is the environment like just so we can get some context?
1: You know, I'd still say um, it's really pretty active. COVID definitely slowed things down. Uh, But, you know, if you look at how the stock market rebounded and certainly if you look at how other asset classes like, you know, residential real estate and probably even multifamily real estate have rebounded, um, there's no slowdown in tech. Now, I do think what was already happening pre-COVID and is probably accelerated more is that more capital just goes to like known quantities and deals. So folks that have already raised venture capital just have a massive advantage over folks that haven't mm-hmm. because people either double down, double down on their existing bets or they want to invest in known entrepreneurs. Uh, so it might be a little harder to break in today than it was, you know, two years ago. But again, if you build a, a good product that's getting progress and you have a good team and you're passionate and you're persistent, you're, you're going to eventually solve for it. Um, but I think that, you know, venture is a little different because uh, uncertainty is also something that just creates opportunity. And so as markets shift, as there's different things going on, um, you know, venture is a long horizon. So you're you're making a bet today, but you're not expecting an outcome for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Wow. It's a little bit less um, you know, it's not as if like investing from venture capitalists goes down because the economy takes a downturn. What probably happens is that the deals term the deal terms change a bit. So they get, you yeah. know, more investor friendly and less founder friendly.
0: Got it. Yeah, it makes sense. What is your uh, view and take on like all the blockchain and crypto and your Fred Krueger trying to teach me some stuff and i i mean it's so foreign for someone that's not in that space and it may be foreign for you because i know it's not exactly your niche but like someone that's at least you're in the tech world what is all this stuff going on and should we be pouring our money into blockchain and this and that because part of me is like well i don't know anything so i don't want to invest in it and then there's the wow am i missing the boat this is going to be some massive huge return on all this stuff Where, where you how do you look at this stuff
1: yeah. I think that, uh, so again, I, I don't live crypto. I'm, I'm not really, right. it's not your space. Crypto <laughs> um, I think, uh, as an overall asset class, it's here to stay. Do I think that like, I also personally think it could have a lot of ups and downs from here. Sure. So, you know, any, any unit of currency has value because people collectively agree that it does. It's as simple as that. Like, why does it yeah. have value? Why does the Euro have value? Why does gold have value? There's a lot of things that have value that don't have, you know, that same original purpose. Um, And so I think the fact that so many people are using it as a store of value and that more and more people are going to use it for transactions and that it has benefits over, you know, cash and we're moving more towards a cashless society overall, um, I think play into the right trends. Uh, I know a lot of smart people that I trust that are starting to put a little bit more of their net worth, even if it's just like 5% into crypto and into Bitcoin. So, you know, when they say those things, I pay attention, yeah. uh, but I just think someone needs to have a really strong stomach if you're going to do it, because you might lose 50% value in the next year. So if right. you're doing it over a 10 year horizon, you'll probably do fine, you know, but you can say this same of, anything buying any piece of property in Los Angeles or yeah. buying any really high quality equity, <laughs> which is, you know, if you, if you stay in the investment long enough, um, you're probably going to do well, right? Like, you know, I mean, everyone laments like, uh, now I think there are other reasons some people are selling right now in California because of taxes and, you know, COVID, um, But, you know, probably prices in L.A. right now are an all-time high. Well, guess what? Three years ago, they were an all-time high. And 10 years ago, they were an all-time high. And 20 years ago, they were at an all-time high. Yeah, good point. So, you know, I think one of the things you see in in actually growing up in Los Angeles is just, like, how much that property actually (laughs) appreciates
0: People are moving in still from New York and East Coast and Europe, and you know we're still seeing that. We're seeing an influx of people looking for. Ooh, I just got a good shot of your yard. You have an unbelievable yard, by the way. Love your yard. Um, there's people coming in from everywhere, and I think that's what's that's also helping helping the, the markets. And what is your take? Not just on tech, but let's get your take just on overall economy, real estate, equities. You know, what's your feel on that as a as a business guy that's got his hands in tech? Not that I'm counting on you to give us any crystal ball uh, uh, magic. And just curious, what you see and what your take is.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I think markets like certainty. So you know, once the once the transition actually happens on the president's side and and the and the Senate's decided, I, I think that'll probably help a little bit in the short term, especially if it drives more stimulus uh, into the economy. Uh, I'm personally of the belief that, you know, we're certainly due for some kind of correction here. I mean, it just, it's not rocket science. I don't think this is anything controversial. If you just look at the stock market over the last 10 years, like it's been a pretty much a straight bull market since 2009. And we have assets that are historically high prices, um, we have very large, like price to earning ratios and, in, in public markets. Um, and then if you just look at it on the ground, there's just some things that like kind of at some point, I, I mean, the what the game changer is here is that like, this is the first time any of us have lived through like basically zero and negative interest rates. And so right. when that's the case, it changes the rules of everything. But like, think of somebody buying an apartment building, like, an apartment building isn't like a stock, like you have to work, you have a lot of work to do and you have a responsibility to those tenants. And, you know, to, in a market like West Los Angeles to buy a building where, you know, you're making like maybe a 3% cap rate,
0: three cap rate. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it, it's a lot of work, you know, you're putting 10, 15, 20 hours a week into that property when you first buy it. And by the way, there's still risk there. There's a lot of risk. And that's a razor thin margin where if you have a downturn like this, or you have right now a lot of tenants that can't pay because of COVID you're upside down, you know, you're not making cash flow from that property. Like you're having to continue to pay into it. And so things like that, at some point, I don't think will be sustainable because people will just make the decision like, Hey, this isn't worth it. Now, again, I think the, uh, I think the, $64,000 question is, you know, what do you do in a zero interest rate world? Right. So I do think at some point here, we're going to be due for some kind of, you know, global correction. I hope that it's not too uh, extreme, but, um, one of the levers we've always had over the, certainly over the last 15, 20 years to help, um, when things go bad with the economy is to make interest rates less and you can't really make them any less right now. Yeah. We've been there for a long time, like getting sick and you don't have a Z pack or any Tylenol to take. Like you're just going to have to ride it out. (laughs) I, I think at some point here, that's what will happen with our economy. We'll have to ride out something really tough and then we'll get to the other side and it may be a year or 18 months or two years, you know, but as long as people keep building new technology and we keep extending more resources to more people around the world and we keep finding more efficient ways to you know do business and and feed people and bring people up in society like we'll keep growing as like an international gdp so i'm hopeful of that
0: yeah it's really been a bizarre time you know obviously covid but just on top of it the zero interest rate environment and the punting keep punting in the future keep punting in the future keep printing money you know obviously my industry has benefited well, most industries have but real estate it's like the epicenter of homes low interest rates people wanting to lock in rates it's it's really wild it defies logic i'm thrilled about it uh but yeah i i have to tend to believe that at some point, we're 8, nine, ten years into a, maybe more, into an upcycle in real estate at some point. These are 7-year cycles on average, so how many years can we go? 12, 14, 15, 12. At some point, something's got to give. Somebody's got to lose their job. Someone's not going to make a payment. It, it's going to happen at some point. Uh, let me spin this a little bit. There Are there companies that maybe I haven't heard of or our audience hasn't heard of, things like the next Facebook, the next Snapchat, the next anything that you've seen that you like that we should be on the lookout for, things that are out there. It doesn't have to be your companies. I just mean cool cool companies, cool products, cool services, things that that you've seen that maybe the normal average person has it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they're pretty well known at this point, but I'm a really big fan of um, Robinhood as a platform to trade equities. And and if someone did want to buy cryptocurrency. It's really just like, if, if you have an Ameritrade account or E-Trade account, like as, as much advancement as they made from, you know, buying it from stockbrokers, I feel like that product just is so great. It's so easy to use. It's a great mobile app. Uh, There's other products like that, like Acorns, which is really cool for folks that are coming up and it takes, you know, your purchases and just reinvests, um, you know, uh, any spare change into equities um, I'm on the board of a company called Wondery that does amazing, amazing podcasts.
0: Wondery, I'm a big fan. They did the, a lot of the uh, the Business Wars, right?
1: And yeah, they, they do have- the show called Business Wars. They have incredible shows like Dirty John and Dr. Death. and Yeah, Bunga. I love that. And uh, audio is just a really fast-growing category. There's some really amazing podcasts. And what they do that's really cool is it's not like the podcast that you maybe like, would originally think of, which is just a bunch of people kind of talking about politics or news it's immersive storytelling so it's like you know falling in love with a show on hbo or netflix and you just gotta binge and you gotta get through these 12 episodes and um, there's certain stories that are kind of just made for audio and so especially now in covid where i think we're all looking for just some extra entertainment Um yeah. another company that's amazing
0: yeah i mean that business wars blows me away there's so many good good uh series at the blockbuster netflix and there's so many good business lessons it really ties into a lot of what the stuff that i talk about with my guests but yes it seems like audio and podcasts have really exploded and it's interesting because that's how storytelling was before tv you know you tune into radio so our, our grandparents our great grandparents and before that and now like you tune into some of those shows and it's it's so engaging, and I can't. Stay. You just, you don't want to get out of my car. I want to ride around, drive around the block because I gotta hear it. it. It's so good. So that's yeah. that's really interesting. Well, look, I've taken up a ton of your time. I'm so glad you're here. You were able to make some time. Any any lessons that that or nuggets of wisdom that you would say? Look, now that I've done this for so many years, I wish I would have known this. Anything that young entrepreneurs should know? Uh, I know you've given us a lot of information already. But if there's anything else that you think that uh, you, you want to put out there now's the time jason let's hear it
1: yeah I, I think maybe just go back to the theme i said before just like people i mean one of the like surround yourself with good people like the value of being with good people in in your career is so such an exponential driver of value and being around bad people is such an exponential driver of negative consequences And so, you know, if you're going to do a deal with someone, make sure it's with super high quality folks. If you're going to go work for someone, make a bet on those people more than the company, because they're going to be the ones there in your corner, you know? And like you were an incredible person, like you helped us with our home and navigate some tricky issues. And it was just amazing to have you as a sounding board and always easy to work with you. And, you know, I think hopefully we'll be friends for a long time to come and hopefully get to do a lot more stuff professionally, but just, I think, uh, no one can ever stress enough the value and importance of working with people, uh, with integrity and, um, hardworking and who are really good at what they do. And the more that we can all surround ourselves, you know, in those situations and stay away from the opposite, you know, really the better our professional lives are going to be over the long run. And, you know, you've always been at the top of that list for me, Danny.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. I I appreciate that. So I want to just give you a, a quick shout out. Your show is called uh, What If I Knew Then is your series on Entrepreneur. Is it Entrepreneur.com or just
1: Entrepreneur Media? If somebody wants to see it, they can just uh, Google my name and Entrepreneur.com and it should pop up. And um...
0: Well, Tuna, you've had some really, really impressive guests and far more impressive than me. So I'd say anyone who's interested in learning about business uh, beyond this – there's some high-level guests there. But, hey, Jason, enjoy your backyard, 68 degrees in the sunshine in November. Hope to see you and the family soon. And thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us, man. Good to see you. Happy Happy
1: Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out thanks, there.
0: Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it, bud. Talk to you soon, man. Go Dodgers. Repeat, baby, repeat. <laughs> hey, thanks, Jason Nazar, for coming and hanging with us a couple days from Thanksgiving. He just dropped so much knowledge on us about startups and leadership and running companies. So please give us a five-star review if you like what you heard. Leave us a comment on on Apple Podcasts. You can check this out on all podcast formats and video on YouTube. Have a good holiday. Be safe. We'll see you all soon. Thanks a lot.